You're listening to Like Flip Radio, part of the Revelations Radio Network. Well, here we are back again. Welcome to episode 32 of Like Flint Radio. I'm your host, GK. We can be found on the web at www.likeflintradio.com. You can email us at mail at likeflintradio.com. And you can also email me personally at gk at likeflintradio.com. In this episode, we welcome back to the show John Adams. Uh, now, John is our most re- Requested return guest to date. We first had John on in episode 26, so you can go back into our archive and find that show and listen to that. And while you're there, you can find every other episode we have published. Now, I'm not sure how long we'll be able to have every other episode available, so please make use of the archive. As you know, we don't charge for anything we do. We pay for all of this ourselves. We use very old used laptops and we edit all on free software that's available to anybody on the, on the web. So, um, so avail yourself of the archive and, uh, we'll keep it up there for as long as we can. Before we move on, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who has written to us recently. It's always encouraging to hear from you and I especially want to thank our friends in Chile. I have friends who live not far from the Bush Hut studio here who have visited Chile and they had a wonderful time, so thanks for writing. I'd also like to say hi to Bob from New York. Thanks for writing. It was great to hear from you and thank you for your kind words. Also, g'day to Johnny C. Just to let you know, I don't live in um, California. I actually do live in southern Queensland. That rumour about me, which I started myself um, uh, about me living in uh, Los Angeles, came from the show I did with Cliff. When I called him on his phone on Skype and it showed I was calling from a uh, Los Angeles area code and I, I said, yeah, mate, I've li- lived in Los Angeles all this time. And uh, so we had a bit of a laugh there, but um, that was just a bit of fun. So anyway, again, thanks to everyone for writing with words of encouragement. We really do appreciate it. Okay, so let's get to the show. This episode will include two sections. In the first section, John will read an article that he wrote called The Human Being being counterculture. Following that, in the second segment, I'll talk to John about his article. Now, if you enjoyed my discussion with John back in show 26, I think you're going to enjoy this one. So let's go ahead with John Adams and the human being being counterculture. I'm going to read from something I wrote in 2010 entitled The Human Being Counterculture start off with a quote by Edward Bernays, page 61 of Propaganda. In some departments of our daily life in which we imagine ourselves to be free agents, we are ruled by dictators exercising great power. The system is not broken. It was designed to fail. For centuries, a ruling class has profited off the construction and destruction of societies. Human creativity and innovation in science and technology has been directed towards inventing tools for constructing a worldwide control grid. 
This all perfected and then given to the general populations under the guises of security and bettering humanity. We all have a weakness for convenience, so it has always been easy to make people dependent on new inventions. And as we accept these ideas and implement them and their use into our daily lives, our cultures are forever attached to them, which changes the culture. The adoption process is gradual, but appears seemingly out of nowhere. The pro and con arguments for accepting the changes are always provided for society by experts. The two sides appearing to oppose each other actually move an agenda forward by forming a balance which always eventually tip in favor of those who implement the changes from the top down. Sociologists acknowledged 50 years ago that the image of a separate body, quote unquote society, makes certain demands and tests out various processes on people which seem, quote unquote, accidental and ensure social change and conformity. But these sociologists never let us in on the big joke that they and the other factions of the ruling elite are the ones pushing us in a predetermined direction. The nature of this system is anti-human. Technology is not a natural progression as we have been told because there is nothing natural about technology or this system. Time periods of freedom lead to tyranny because it is a system of opposites, crushing humanity from side to side, above and below. What is the system? What defines the system? These are questions not ever completely answered by the many books of various perspectives and opinions that outline how our controllers engineer world events that shape our reality. These excellent books, and some not so good, identify the families, factions, secret orders, etc., and their methods of control and power over the world. Many books suggest well-intentioned solutions of taking back the power or getting back to a golden age of freedom that supposedly existed before our time. The fact is that even in the quote-unquote good old days, there were people fighting for the rights and upset about their standards of living, and most likely, you would be one of them. The times we think of as better may have been for some, but not for all, and not for long. As far as taking back power, you cannot take back what was never yours. The system allows revolution and change to fool us into a new way of existing in, but never outside of, the system. The system is perpetual debt slavery that the human assumes by being born into. A citizen owes, not owns, and is a taxpayer on debt that existed before they ever lived. This system is a worldwide intermarried ruling class that has maintained power for thousands of years, living in the lap of luxury, an endless land of milk and honey where we are the cattle and the worker bees. The system is science aimed at predicting man's behavior and making him more predictable. The system is a collective mindset with no place in it for the individual. The individual's creativity is the most dangerous thing to the system in this world. The system harnesses people's creative thoughts for use in entertainment and the sciences of control. The ones being entertained regularly will use less and less of their creative minds. Trivia and distractions keep us numbed, round, and dumbed down. This system is manufactured opposites. We all know that life is not black and white. It is gray in many shades of it. 
Communism, capitalism, and the merging of the two into socialism are all debt-based money systems with a ruling class. None of these isms ever work the way they were supposedly supposed to work. But if we take the perspective of viewing these systems not as economic, but control systems inside a larger system of money, these systems worked perfectly. Money, no matter what it is, cash, card, microchip, or man himself, represents labor. Because profit in our system is now synonymous with necessity, we labor for our needs and view wealth as success. With money, there is always a middleman who determines how much your labor is worth. The face value of your dollar or money means nothing. It is the purchasing power that is controlling you. At one time, a dollar could buy you 10 gallons of gas or 10 loaves of bread or two burgers, two fries, two shakes with change left over. Now it barely gets you a candy bar. This is not your fault. You have been fooled and used by what Aldous Huxley called the oligarchy that has always existed and presumably always will exist. He should know he was one of them. Fooled into thinking that we start wars, we cause economic crashes, we are using up the planet's resources, we are overpopulating the earth, when it is really this controlling group engineering it and taxing you, the pencil pusher, the bean counter, for all of it. This is not a negative outlook on the world either. Life is wonderful. The natural world is beautiful. It is a system that is negative. All the material of this world that keeps us entertained and pretends to make us happy can only do so because the creative human spark has but put, been put into it. Humans are amazing, but the majority are putting their creative energy into things of this system or not being creative at all. The human being counterculture is this system, a culture of counting human beings. Let's break it down. The human equals you, a natural inhabitant of this planet born into an unnatural system. Being, to live, alive. Human being is a verb, an action, not a thing. You live in this world. You exist in this system. Being, B-E-A-N. A seed. You are planted and you stay in one place until you are picked to be consumed. This is you, a human resource. Counter. A banker. A census taker. A taxman. A miser. A slave master. Counting debts, heads, coins, dollars, men. You are a number, not a free man to these creatures. You legally are a monster. From Ballantine's Legal Dictionary. Monster, a human being by birth, but in some part resembling a lower animal. A monster hath no inheritable blood and cannot be heir to any land, albeit be brought forth in marriage. But although it hath deformity in any part of its body, yet if it hath human shape, it may be an heir. Your days are numbered. You can count on it. Culture, a growth in a nutrient medium, a lab experiment. We are a culture being tested in the lab of this system by the men of science. Our instincts and natural creative state has been scientifically dulled. We not only don't question how we arrived at all of our conclusions, tastes, com comforts, gadgets, desires, debates, basically everything. We don't question where we are headed as a culture or as a human being. We focus on the thoughts and problems of the hour, which of course are important, but never focus on the larger problems that lead to the smaller ones. Millions have lived and died, never knowing anything at all. 
The purpose of this is to provide inspiration to the reader or listener. We exist in this reality and are not aware of the origins of the ideas that surround us and influence us every waking moment of every day. We take our lives for granted. Our purpose as humans to help and care for each other has been overthrown by a mindless culture of self-interest and the pursuit of pleasure. This is not totally our fault. We were tricked. We have been trained not to think. We have been purposely guided into this culture where we remain in constant flux. People who become aware of the many levels of reality that are presented to them and make an effort to break the spell of everyday mind control may find themselves feeling depressed and or that life is pointless. The material of this system and culture we live in will always be unfulfilling. If we expect the creations of this reality to keep us happy and constantly entertained, we will remain stuck in a constant state of dependence. We will be slaves to the things we possess and the creators of the possessions. Once you understand that every single thing this system produces is a distraction and a false reality to keep your mind occupied, it may seem hopeless. It is not hopeless and all of our lives have purpose. A true individual will realize their purpose and become that purpose. That will fulfill you in, in this life. This writing is for that person. These writings will be handwritten to emphasize the spontaneous nature of the thought put to paper. Only the subject matter has been planned out. The things discussed here are for making the reader aware that their everyday use and interaction with things we may describe as normal or not even think about at all is all planned out for them and well thought out beforehand. They say that truth is stranger than fiction, but what if our reality is fiction? Cognitive awareness is defined as the thought of or about the act of thinking. So basically, thinking about what you are thinking about. There are many things we do daily that we do not think about. We do automatically. You do not think about walking, blinking, moving your hands, etc. These are involuntary movements. But a thought about these movements did take place. The conscious, the subconscious, and the unconscious in the mind is where the thought occurs. You do not consciously say to yourself, self, legs walk, eyes blink. You just do it. Now ask yourself a few questions. Have I ever thought about the act of purchasing an item? How did I arrive at the conclusion that what I am purchasing is really what I need? Or even deeper, why do we speak the language that we speak? The last one we can address at another time, but the first two we can ask, when you need toothpaste, is there a conscious thought not based on the need for toothpaste, but on the act of going to the store and going through the process of purchasing? Did you ever think about how you know how to use money? Anyways, these seem to be like involuntary actions in our society, yet they are anything but natural. Not only are we taught language when we are very young, but we are also taught the language of advertising the language of symbols, which represent a brand name. It is a language that speaks without words directly to your mind. It has been discussed in countless books, the goals, effects, targets, and methods of subliminal manipula manipulation and advertising. Rather than focus on that, I would like to look at society as a whole functioning in an unnatural system where advertising is only one of the methods used to keep our minds occupied from morning till night. The purpose being an end result in a population totally confused, easily suggestible, and easily done away with. What is perception? 
Perception is to become aware by way of the senses. The way your mind understands everything about something or someone affects your conclusions, which gives you your opinions, tastes, outlooks. Even your eyesight can rely in part on your perception of reality. Let's say you slipped and fell, and a man came to your aid and helped you to your feet. He even offers to take you to the hospital. You think this stranger is a nice man helping you in your time of need. Later on, you notice your wallet is missing, and someone informs you that the man who helped you actually tripped you and stole your wallet. Your perception at first was that the man was helping you and he had good intentions. The reality was, not only was he not helping you, he purposely created a crisis to hurt you so he could benefit from it. Now think about this situation and then think about your perception of reality in regards to our culture, media, and government. Is there a benefit to having people struggle? An even larger question is do people, not you and me, but people who control billions of dollars, do they profit from the majority of people's ignorance? And what about the wealth of the people below them? Do they profit off of that as well? Quote, the fields of marketing, public relations, and advertising are not just used to influence perception, but actually to create it. Joe Vitale, 2007. The culture industry is comprised of the above-mentioned fields, psychologists, sociologists, anthropologists, social psychologists, and the elitists who fund their research through tax-free foundations are the creators and controllers of this culture industry. Through public opinion polls and now the ever-expanding field of data mining, they will continue trying to predict and control behavior. What you don't see is what you get. Most people do not research what is in the food they eat, the water they drink, the household and hygiene products they use, the over-counter and prescription medication they take, or what their children are being taught in public schools. Most people trust the institutions of government in one form or another to regulate and approve all of these things mentioned for public consumption. Most people believe that food, water, medication, cleaning, and hygiene products, and public schools are things that exist to help and improve life, not to intentionally harm people. Most people believe that government is overall good, but bad people occasionally get into power, and we can get rid of them and vote good people in, and so the cycle goes on and on. These total strangers we elect and re-elect on faith without knowing anything really about them to handle our tax dollars, our money. Think about this. The majority of the worlds, not just the countries, governments, regardless of party affiliation, are good friends behind closed doors. Democrats and Republicans alike who appear to oppose each other more than often are members of the same fraternal orders, secret societies, private think tanks, councils, board memberships of corporations, etc., which are not disclosed to the public who supposedly elect them. These folks are all given money by the giant companies who make all the things listed above. Think about it. Can you trust that these, peop that these things are safe when the companies can pay the people whose job it is to regulate them? And just as politicians keep their relationships with one another a secret to keep their system of scamming and enslaving you and I going, the companies that produce all of the items mentioned above keep secret the harmful effects of the ingredients in those products. Nothing is safe that you do not research. The illusion of choice. Quote, perception controls how people respond to anything and their perceptions are largely controlled by others. Joe Vitale, 
buying trances 2007. If someone pointed out to you that your car had a flat tire, would you get in drive anyway? Hopefully not. If I were to tell you that fluoride is a toxic waste byproduct from the production of aluminum and is used in rat poison, but is also dumped into over 70% of the U.S. water supply and is present in almost every major toothpaste brand, are you going to stop drinking tap water and brushing your teeth with fluoride toothpaste? Most people will not and do not even when warned and provided facts. Most won't go check it out for themselves, which is really the best thing anyone can do. Why is this? Even if the above claim were incorrect, which it is not, isn't it an important enough issue to look into? To most people, these things are not important, so the idea of choice does not exist. We all seem to believe we have our own individual perceptions of reality. In one sense, this is true. You are an individual able to make your own choices. But if your perception of reality is based on choosing between toothpaste that all have toxic waste byproducts in them, it is neither reality nor a choice. And it is especially unreal when the companies knowingly keep the information from the consumer and it is harming you. To be perfectly honest, they are killing you and you are allowing them by buying their products. Control of the consumer by con games. A long time ago, society was sold on the idea that having a limited amount of choices was easier and better overall and more convenient for people. We also have been sold on the idea of experts telling us how to live. Expert panels on television tell people how to sing, cook, raise a child, a pet. Experts tell you how to dress and act. Do you think that you are not affected by this? The combination of limited or further expanding choices and the background drone of expert opinions without your own independent research opinions and verification on why a choice is being limited or expanded or what the so-called expert's degree of knowledge in said field is, will influence and can alter your own perception of reality. Don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Cross that out, replace it with constantly need an expert to tell me everything about everything. What did people do before the weatherman? Did you ever look outside on a cloudy day and think maybe I should take my jacket or umbrella? This is a natural response to something you can figure out on your own. Most of the things we hear or see reinforce what we already know or believe. And yet the weatherman's daily suggestions like take an umbrella with you seem like convenient expert advice. To hear an expert directing you even in the most simplest of thoughts or actions makes you dependent on the suggestion. The focus here is not on the importance of the weatherman, but on taking convenience for granted. The same people who have allowed all of these conveniences to exist and be available can just as easily take them away. Many people not only need suggestion, they want it. They enjoy the comfort of not having to think for themselves. Ready-made, prefabricated opinions are tailored for those who do not want to put in the effort to think individually. The enjoyment of being told what to do comes from associating direction and suggestion with or as being helpful or good-natured and not questioning the motives behind them. We have all heard or used the phrase, I am giving you a choice. Well, that is what the culture creators do. They give you your choices. 
you are either tricked or forced into choosing what they have provided as the so-called choices. The perception of choice is based on a distraction. If you go into a supermarket and find a vast variety of sodas in all different flavors and presentations, but they are all manufactured by the same company, you have only the one company to turn to if you have a complaint. The different brands and flavors are the distraction from the fact that the same company owns them. This really means you have no choice and you will shut up and like it or don't buy it. This is now how our culture, government, big business, and our economy operate and presumably always has. Choosing not to choose is still a choice. Some people know quite well that the system we live in is unnatural and corrupt by design, but they choose to deal with the facts by embracing the system and all it produces and stands for. If everything is bad, then just have fun. Some people would rather exist in the false reality and ignore all the harmful and dangerous things, people and situations that are part of the reality. But some have troubled enough through their own life's events and are trying to escape those reality and they have a hard enough time with that than to go about learning everything else in the world is a lie. They can become easily disturbed by any discussion of the truth or the aspects of our false reality. It is not our place to judge others trying to survive in this life, but it is your understanding of how our reality is and living by example that can make a difference in other people's life. The lives of others and how you impact them with truth is probably the most important thing. That's news to me, K-N-E-W. Our perception of reality can be altered and controlled through our culture. The agendas that run through a generation will continue no matter how much they are resisted until finally adopted and accepted overall into the culture and minds targeted by the agenda. The entertainment and media will all simultaneously adopt the prescribed changes the agenda dictates. The catchphrases, buzzwords, ideas, preferences, attitudes, fashion, slang, habits, reactions, and opinions which are pre-programmed into us, the viewer, listeners, consumers, etc., unwittingly become the surrounding culture. The changes within our lives go unnoticed because we believe the changes are naturally occurring and that the ideas are being generated organically, not by outside sources. Constant change becomes the norm, and anything or anyone not progressing or moving forward becomes old-fashioned. The word news means just that, what's new. And discussed earlier, most people do little or no research themselves. For many, the news and or the newspaper is their only source of information. So the only opinions or updated news they are exposed to is the ones being projected out by the media into the culture and the minds of the viewers. Millions of viewers equals millions of people manifesting into reality all these things. Information is used to shape the minds of those living in the present culture, but always pushing it forward. Edward Bernays admits in his 1928 book, Propaganda, on pages 59 through 61, quote, Who are the men who give us our ideas? Tell us whom to admire and whom to despise about immigration, how our houses should be designed, what furniture we should put in them, what shirt we must wear, what charities we should support, what slang we should affect, what jokes we should laugh at. Such persons typify the public mind the type of ruler associated with the phrase invisible government.
the culture of personality disorder or made to order. Theo Adorno, 1943, The Culture Industry. Quote, the whole world is made to pass through the filter of the culture industry. Real life is becoming indistinguishable from the movies. Our surroundings and experiences can determine our behavior. No one's mind, emotion, and perception of reality can be left uninfluenced by constant images and sounds of a violent, sexual, and purposely dumbed-down nature. Words and sounds of this nature also affect your state of well-being. Culture, culture plays a mammoth role in how we act, think, and feel. Contrary to what we may believe, we are born into our cultures. And since culture is created and then guided through books, TV, music, movies, advertising, etc., the culture is only as effective as your reaction or accepting of it on an individual level. To, to the well-placed and prefabricated persuasions of your age, you will hold an allegiance and regard as part of your personality and your identity. The culture industry controls the ebb and flow of the currents and patterns that run through an era or a generation. It creates and sets trends. Adorno also states in the culture industry, the old experience of the moviegoer who sees the world outside as an extension of the film because it's in the culture industry's intent on reproducing the world of everyday perceptions is now the film's producer's guideline. Basically, it is the job of entertainment and media to create the blueprint for the reality that they want you to live in. Through human nature and our desires, culture is organically born. Culture is steered through creating things for people to want and giving them tastes and ideas that move them in a predetermined direction. Culture planning thrives on and feeds on individual acting, thinking, and teaching in a collective state of mind. Truth cannot be taught. Facts can be taught to a person who is willing to look at the facts from different angles and come to their own individual realization of the truth, but truth is too subtle to be taught, and facts are not the truth. The individual is slated for extinction. The collective-minded mass society is getting rid of individuality in stages. Your mind is the target, not countries, not economics, not the issues of the day. These are to get you to consent to the elimination of your mind. The total technological society we are advancing and building will require complete submission. This system is a fraud. The more people become aware of the fraud, the less it works. If we are passing thoughts to one another, we are dangerous opinion. We are dangerous. Opinions must be outlawed. Humans are imperfect and do evil things. But we have the capacity to correct our wrongs without being forced to be good by laws. No police state of any size can make you good. But a microchip implanted in your body can take over your individual self. It is a scam and an impossibility to think globally. The reality you can control is the one that surrounds you, the one you can see. Empathizing with others who suffer elsewhere is a natural human feeling. We need to care for others and love each other, but maintain common sense. We will cause real change in our lives and reality, our world, by living by example. This is not a conclusion. There's more to come. The only advice I have is to start writing yourself. Start thinking. Turn off the TV, the computer, the radio, once in a while. Learn about yourself. Be silent. Listen to your mind. Others will see the difference.
Hey, John, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? I'm doing good, mate. Um, thanks for coming back. We had many requests to have you back, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, so I'm glad that you've agreed to come back and talk to us. So I want to talk about the article that we've just listened to, the article that you wrote um, a, a while ago. Um, the first question I have, uh, and I think it's pertinent, mate, is um, why and when did you write this article? So um, what's it about? What, what made you write this one? It was just some stuff I had been working on in my mind. Um, I was trying to kind of get down a basic philosophy for myself and think of like the most simplistic and easiest way that if I was to try to explain to something like that to somebody, um, how I would go about doing that. And it took me uh, a good part of a year just to write that because I specifically structured um, the words and, and the phrasing all in a very particular manner to try to, I guess, get it in the most honest sense. So I wrote it in 2010, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I really didn't write it for anybody else but me. Okay. Um, just trying to, like I said, just trying to get something down on paper that you know, I could kind of reference. I noticed that it, with myself, if I write something down, mm -hmm. that it's a lot easier for me to uh, memorize it. So yeah. So uh, after I wrote that down, it kind of cemented in my mind what my philosophy was, and then it would be able to verbally tell somebody. Right, right. Now, look, look, I I agree. Writing it down is does help us and help us um, develop our thoughts further for someone that is a bit more visual. In their in their thinking or the way they um, process things, but um, let's get into the guts of it a bit. A couple of things um, that were brought up in that, and there'll be more than this for sure. In it, you talked about change coming from the top down. How can we help people understand this point that you and I agree on? That change from the comes from the top down. You have to look at the things in your life as far as you know what you enjoy. Um, for the most part, uh, in America, people's culture centers, centers around some form of media. Um, it's been this way for a while, um, but in old times, people used to have hobbies uh, where they actually did things themselves, whether it be just going for a walk in the park, uh, people played musical instruments themselves. You know, music in the modern sense, uh, a lot of times people didn't uh, look to the media to give them music. Uh, they sat around and played music on their own. Um, so change comes from the top down when you see society starting to change for no reason. When it, it's something that is, uh, you know, overthrown in your daily life. Um, I mean, just look at like taxes or some, something as simple as that. Taxes and taxes and taxes and taxes keep piling up as time goes on. And there's not really anything that you can do about it because you have to live. But see, that's one example of change coming from the top down. Uh, there's not anybody uh, who is a citizen of some country who who begs for taxes, you see. <laughs> no, no, good point, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's, that's one example. But as far as cultural change... You know, cultural change happens from the top down as well. Um, 
like we talked about in our previous talk, you know, you'll see things running parallel through uh, all different forms of entertainment and media um, as far as cultural change is concerned. Uh, you'll see all the memes and the, uh, to borrow a phrase from another podcast, uh, you'll see the themes and the memes running through the media uh, simultaneously as the change is occurring in your daily life. And that's no, that's no accident. No, it's not an accident, no. One of the things that I'd written to you about too, um, and you and I had, uh, I think, agree on this point as well, is that especially in um, uh, Western democracies, um, you, you'll have a basically a two-party system. There might be a third, a third party there somewhere just to keep people occupied. But, you know, they say, well, if you're unhappy with your government, throw the bums out and get somebody else in. But we know that when we do that, and we've seen it over many, many electoral cycles in the USA, in Australia, and indeed New Zealand and the UK, that um, when you do that, the song remains the same. You think you're going to get something new, it's going to change, you're going to get some form of change, but it doesn't change. Um, they may say a couple of things that um, resonate with you, so you think, yes, I'll vote for them, but um, quite often the song remains the same, as, as I said. Now, for me, that, that really is part of the evidence that it doesn't come from the democratic system, it doesn't come from the people, it doesn't come from us, uh, the voters, um, the punters. It comes from the top down. Whatever they say happens, and it, and it happens whether you want it to happen or not. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, especially if you're talking about what you refer to as a democratic system. Re really, we can, um, for the most part, like you and I... Uh, you and I are living it. We know what how these uh, Western democracies work, you know. And you can you can as much as you like, you can say as many times as you like to your blue in the face. Oh, you, you just vote them out. But you vote them out, and then the next mob comes in, and and you know, not not very little is changes for the better for the people down on the ground. Yeah, the the problem is is we don't understand as a people uh, what the word democracy means, uh, what the word voting means, what the word republic means. Um, none of them have anything to do with what we actually think that they are. So, like, when you're voting for someone, you don't realize that by voting, your, particip your participation means you're giving your consent to be governed. Right. It, yes. ha it, has nothing, it has nothing to do with you voting for someone to win or lose. There's an agenda. The agenda remains the same no matter who gets into office. But, see, your vote means... I consent to be ruled by whoever gets in the office because I obviously am aware of the fact that even though I vote for somebody and they don't get in, that whoever the other person who does get in, I've now given my consent by participating in that vote. Right. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware, John, but in Australia, uh, voting is compulsory. Uh, we don't have a choice. We have a forced democracy. We, we can't choose not to. If you don't vote, uh, I always ha uh, crack this joke, so please bear with me. If you don't vote, they take you around behind the dunny and they shoot your feet off. <laughs> but um, on a serious note, if you don't vote, you get fined. So I hear I hear a lot of people, especially in countries where it isn't compulsory, they say, oh, that's a good thing because then people have to take part in their democracy. But what they don't understand is that um, a forced march is uh, very different to someone making the choice to be part of that march. 
Um, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you wouldn't call that whatever a real democracy is supposed to be. Um, anything that's forced on somebody, uh, you wouldn't you would call that more of a tyrannical thing. And you know, people in the Soviet Union were forced to vote too. So, yeah, well, it's a strange thing because, to be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm happy to vote. I do vote, and I encourage uh, my friends and family, you know, to to, to vote. It's just that I think I'd like to be given the choice whether I want to or not. Um, I think technically, uh, especially in the state I live in, I think there is a technicality. You have to be enrolled. You have to go in, have your name signed off at roll, um, and then you have to take the voting slip and and put it in the ballot box. Now, I'm, I think it's a technicality that because I, I know a lot of people uh, donkey vote, what we call a donkey vote. They either write something silly on it or they don't vote. You know, they write nothing on it or... Um, probably a lot of them are mistakes. You know, they'll they'll do something wrong on the ballot paper and it's a mistake. But like I was saying, I think it's a technicality that you actually have to turn up on the day, get your name signed off, take that ballot paper and put it in the box. You must do that or you, you, you get a fine. But I'd like the choice to say no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you guys have the choice not to turn up if you don't want to. We don't. Yeah, there's also other things in our country where they're tracking you as well. It sounds like a tracking thing uh, more than anything else. and Not tracking as in the sense of, oh, they're watching your every move. They're doing all, in a, you know, not to fear monger. Uh, but there's certain things that they are tracking, and they want to be aware of your existence, whether it be on a local level or whether it be on a federal level. And... Um, so that's what it sounds like to me, and I'm sure at some point down the line, other Western democracies will have something similar put into place, I'm sure. The democracy is a word that, um, oh, I think George Orwell wrote an essay um, called Politics in the English Language, and uh, he goes into a very interesting thing about the word democracy, the word fascism, and the like, and he talks about how those words are are malleable, and that they mean different things at different in different time periods. So think of the time period that you live in currently, and it's considered a, a democracy. And then think about all the rights that you've lost, and say 40 years ago, the rights that people had 40 years ago compared to the rights that you don't have now. Yet it was still a democracy. Right. So so no matter how many rights you have or you don't have, it's still a democracy, allegedly. Yeah. And and so that's one of the things that Orwell goes over in, in that essay, how democracy is just a catch-all phrase. It, it's just a, it's a word to sell you on an idea that never existed. And um, I'll take it a step further than Orwell, because he seemed to believe that there was at least at some level, different power structures. I don't uh, competing against each other. I don't totally believe that. I kind of believe that they're all in the same bed together. So when you exchange something for something else, say, oh, we're not going to be a democracy anymore. We're going to be a, a socialist country. Well, they learned a long time ago. You don't have to change the name officially. Mm, mm, yeah. You, you can implement whatever you want and still tell everybody, hey, that's freedom. Yeah, like like you have in Australia there with your uh, with your forced vote, hmm. uh, you're gonna you're gonna see a lot more things come about uh, in the future as 
as we're seeing currently, um, where participation in in your global citizens, your global global citizenship, uh, will not be something that you'll be able to skirt. It's going to be mandatory that you be a global citizen, you participate in your democracy. Well, there's uh, another thing um, that's just about to come come about here, John, um, is forced vaccinations. And um, when I say forced, it's not actually um, going to be compulsory, but if you don't have your child vaccinated, what they're planning to bring in is you will lose about, about $15,000 in family support payments, up to $15,000 in family support payments if you don't have your child vaccinated. So the vaccination issue is a big one. Uh, the battle is raging here in Australia um, and in social media, in a lot of the groups I'm in, social media groups, it really is a defining line between uh, those who are for it and, and those who aren't. Um, and I wouldn't encourage people either way. I want, I'd like people to be informed and make up their own minds. But what I'm saying is that um, governments will do things uh, to get their way, even if it's like in Australia, we have a very big social security system and there are many, many people on a variety of benefits. I and mean, even if you're working, you can you, you might receive some sort of a family supplement payment, you know, if you have children. And, and so if you don't have your child back vaccinated, you could lose up to $15,000 a year. And that's not to be sneezed at in, in the current economy. So uh, that's just another thing to add to our little discussion where you just said, you know, other governments will find ways of forcing things upon people. Um, and that's just an example of that. Listen, um, switching to another topic that was in your, uh, your essay, if, I, I like this idea and you brought it up. You know, I want to ask you, was there ever a golden age of freedom? And, and, and did the good old days actually ever exist? Because many of us look back, you know, with... Um, uh, I don't know, rose-coloured glasses, you could say, you know, oh, the good old days. Gee, I wish it was like that again. Did they ever exist? <laughs> well, they exist in our minds, that's for sure. Um, right, right. As, as, as far as uh, physically existing, I think you could say that there's certain time periods uh, throughout history where they were better for others, but not for all. Right. And and so as as time progresses and more laws are put in, on the books and, and you know, that type of thing, yeah, you could say that there was a time period that was a lot better because we were technically a lot freer even even inside of this all encompassing system. Um but if if you wanted a specific time period, um I would say in America there was only one fleeting moment in time uh, when there actual actually was real freedom, and I think that was, you know, when right before they started to move out west, right, and and people moved out west to an area that was largely not very populated, and they moved out, their families out there and started their own lives, and there was no government around to bug you. Right, and so it's a time that's been romanticized uh, mm. much too often in the mm. movies, and uh, l largely uh, a myth has been created out of the old West that really never existed, like we see in the movies. Yes, 
but yeah, there was a time period when the frontier was not, you know, conquered and people could, you know, live without a, a number or a name, so to speak. Hey, you know, this brings us to to this other topic of entertainment again, because you and I talk about it a fair bit. You say that the more we're entertained, the less creative we become. Uh, is entertainment dumbing us down? Yes. Okay, so do, do yeah. you have some examples? Like the one I think I spoke about to you was, I, I think reality TV is part of the evidence because um, to me it shows you that truth has, has not only is but has become fiction. Like they fictionalise, reality TV is for the most part fictionalised, but you sit there watching it, some of us believing that that's real, you know, that that's um, not engineered, some of those situations. But um, do you have examples um, that you'd like to share? Yeah, there's always been an element of what you would say programming in entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, even, if, even if you go back into the Greek era, it was compulsory for people to go watch the the theater, right? Uh, the plays, because the plays themselves had programming in them. They yes. had cultural, they had cultural programming. Yes. Um, Shakespeare is another good example of a culture shifting type of thing, where um, the plays at the, at the Globe Theater were for the were for the poor people. And the themes that ran through all of those plays, and, and and as everybody knows, the language which was shifted, the English language was completely changed with Shakespeare. But what that did was, you know, somebody would go watch some of these plays, and people back then, of course, had better memories than they do now. So you could see something once, you'd go see a play, or you could go see a piece of music, uh, you know, live performance, and people used to remember long strands of pieces of music and, uh, you know, entire lines from plays and things like that. And so, you know, people would parrot the, the things that they saw, or they would hear, um, you know, the new slang, uh, the same way that we do with movies and television shows. We pick things up, and then we incorporate them into our our walk, our talk, our way of life. And largely we are conscious of those things uh, for the most part because I just noticed in myself, you know, as a teenager, you know, I would watch something in a movie and then I would want to emulate it, whether it be a certain way of dress or a certain way someone talked. Um, and and you're, aware, you're aware of it, but you think it's normal. You think there's a normality to that. And it's it's hard for people to break out of that and come to the realization that, no, that's really not so normal because, you know, that's not, that isn't reality. That's that's something that's happening on the television screen. That's not really how it takes place in real life. I think what happens a lot of times is that you have people who get these idealized characters in entertainment. And you think by emulating these idealized characters that and taking on a, a personal aspect of their personality that you're going to become, you know, something akin to what you're seeing on the screen. And largely that's never the case and it never pans out that way because that person is a composite character of a whole bunch of different psychological traits that are being used on you while you're watching while you're being entertained. 
Right, no, I agree. And now I love I love watching sport. Don't get me wrong; um, most Aussies do. But um, I also think sometimes um, we can have a little bit too much of it. Uh, and like I said to you, you know, um, is entertainment dumbing us down? Because I think the more I'm watching sport or reality TV, not that I watch much of that, by the way. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> but um, but I do watch a bit of sport. But I think you know, um, while I'm doing that. I'm not reading, I'm not thinking for myself, I'm not reading something that's worth reading. Now, for me as a believer, I, I would like to be I think would like to be able to study the Bible more, spend time more time doing that. And I'm sure other believers listening to me now would agree, but sometimes we fill our days with stuff that we don't need to. And it does have an effect on you and how you live your life, how you walk, how you talk. You just said it. Well let me just let me just say one thing. I'm not against having some fun. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. But, but you just, you need to be aware mm. of the fact, you need to be aware of the fact that most things out there that are allegedly out there for your entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, if you break down the word entertainment, mm-hmm. right? So you enter to go into, yep. okay, pain. If you take the word pain, it's, it's usually um, preceded by something like con, to be right. contained, right, or maintained, or retained, right? Yes. Teen means to capture. Right. Okay. So you've entered into captivity, is what entertainment means, right? right? And then meant in the old times meant uh, mind, you know, mental dementia, yes. men- yeah. mental. So your mind has been captured, is what it's telling you you've entered in your mind into captivity entertainment so just be aware that, that those things are out there not only for your entertainment but if, if they've got memes uh, once again themes and memes in them um, be aware that you've opened yourself up to being programmed for certain things in there because I've, I've read a couple of books on on how television uh, affects you, and then I've also heard, you know, other researchers talk about uh, what's called predictive programming. And when you're being entertained, your guard is down because uh, you're not thinking about, you know, you're, you're not cognitively aware of what you're watching because you're in entertainment mode. And so your guard's down, and your your mind is actually open to being um, swayed in certain ways that you wouldn't normally think of. Yeah, right. That's right. I think I think that's a very good point. And uh, as you say, the thing is we need to be conscious of it and uh, think about what we, we are um, letting come into our headspace. Another thing you've mentioned in your discussion too, you know, you talk about the, the rise of the experts. Um, now for me, you know, I think there was a time when our extended family taught us how to live. You know, like things like how to cook, how to work, about social relationships, you know. Uh, for the most part, that would have come from our extended families back in the day, in air quotes. But why do we need experts now? How, how did this happen? I think I wrote to you and I said, are we lazy and just prefer being told what to do? So first tell us about the rise of the experts and why do we need them? Um. I think another question you posed to me, and I'll answer that now, was um, is variety, uh, is too much variety 
you know, too much of a good thing gone bad. Okay, so with too much variety, what you have is you have convenience gone mad. And you got to understand that with so much convenience and so much variety, people will tend to think like, oh, well, that's a good thing. You know, the more convenient something is, uh, the more variety I have, that's obviously better. And it is a good thing, but it's a good thing only to a certain extent. Once you become flooded with so many things and so much convenience, you open yourself up to having people become experts on certain things that are now going to tell you what to do. Right. You see, it's it's one thing to study something yourself or to understand something that's passed down from uh, family mem- members like, like you mentioned. Mm. That's one thing. Um, cooking, you know, how, how to fix a car or how to, you know, drive a, drive a nail on a board or something like that. Um, but largely what happened was, is we, we had so much convenience that we started to have other people do those things for us, or we started to buy into the idea that, you know, we have these technologies that, that make a lot of that stuff obsolete. And so as time progressed, uh, what you not only saw with the, you know, the so-called advancing of technology was um, people lost, not only lost interest in those things, but those those things themselves went away completely. There was no use for them anymore. So, so now you have entire generations of people who've never cooked a meal for themselves. They, they eat out three times a day and they have no use for a stove. They have no use for a dish towel. Um, same thing with cars and all, all that type of stuff. Uh, people just, you know, they've never even opened the hood of their car before. They take it to a mechanic. And those are kind of societal, trivial type things, I guess you could say, like, okay, well, you know, big deal, so, so someone doesn't work on their car, Right. Well, those things transcend into other areas yes, yes. of uh, life to where now you, when you want to know, actually know how to do something, well, where do you go? You go to an expert. But see, the experts now have infiltrated every facet of your life to where when you turn on your television, um, you've got somebody telling you what to do on the TV and telling you what the best thing is, what... And, and see, you, the, the bad thing about that is, is you don't actually go out and find out for yourself. It's not something that you go and seek out for yourself. There's no seeking. There's no, there's no trial period where you're, uh, where you're learning. There's no learning involved. And so, where there's no learning involved, there's no spark. Uh, what they used to call the spark of genius. You know, the flash of genius. Um, there's no um, real ideas coming about because you're getting all of your ideas from somewhere else and a lot of times this leads to no contemplation time period where you're not sitting you're you're sitting unoccupied and your mind is just wandering Um, you're constantly being bombarded with expert opinions all day long because when you're in the car you've got the radio on then you come in the house you've got the tv on you go to work you've got 
your boss telling you what to do at the job. So somebody's always telling you what to do. Well, that also carries over into um, you, like like how you mentioned before, that there's a large amount of people um, in society who are on government assistance. Well, that's because the government is your is your daddy, right? And and he takes care of you. Yeah. And that goes that goes over here too. I mean, that's how it is all over the world now. Uh, everybody's on some form of government assistance in one way or another because. The government's your daddy. The government takes care of business. You don't have to worry about all that, those little things. And now you don't have to worry about even the big things anymore. It's very surprising to me how much we trust total strangers with our lives and more frighteningly with our children's lives. We hand them over to doctors and teachers and we just trust that it's everything's going to be okay and it's for their own good. But when you think about it, we don't know anything about those people that are in that classroom. We don't know anything about that doctor in that white coat. We don't know, do we? And we just do it because it's been part of our Western culture for so long now to trust the expert. Um, we just hand, hand our kids over. We hand our own lives over um, without giving it a thought. And I, I wanted to ask you, how do we combat that within our own lives? And I'm certain you're going to say we need to start thinking for ourselves, aren't you? Yeah, um, but now people even need to be told to, to think for themselves. So <laughs> yeah. you, you hear that all, you hear that all over the place. You know, yes. think for yourself. Think for yourself. Yes. Um, my advice is get rid of your television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, don't don't listen to the radio. Go go search something out. Don't take convenience for granted because convenience is what you would call a Trojan horse. Yeah. Once things be, become too convenient for you, you no longer go search things out. You no longer go go find things out in life for yourself. Um, it's not just all about thinking for yourself in the sense of, you know, um, I'm not going to, you know, like, like you mentioned before, oh, I'm not going to vote for this guy or this guy. I'm yeah. going to think for myself. No. Shun everything in the world altogether, right? And right. Um, and see how you feel. Yeah. And anal- analyze yourself. Analyze your the way, the way that you feel. You know. And um, if you're a religious person who's uh, you know like like people be listening to this who would be uh, Christians, mm. you know, step away from all all the things that are going on, and you know, then you would have more time to focus on the things. Uh, like you said, you'd rather uh, spend a lot more time reading your Bible if mm-hmm. that's what you if that's what you want to do. That's yes. what you uh, can do. Yes, yes, yes. No, look, look, I agree. Um, do you think that some people prefer to live in in this matrix? Have you seen the m- movie The Matrix, John? Yeah, I've seen the movie The Matrix. Yes. So, do you think people? Um, there's some people who prefer to live in the matrix rather than be woken up because when they stick their head up and see that reality is not what they uh, thought it was, um, they become unsettled. So they, you know, put their heads back, head back under the sheets and uh, go back into the matrix. Do you think there's a certain number of people in our culture who prefer that? Yes, there is. And it's not their fault. Right. I agree. Uh, it's, not, it's not their fault completely. Um, I agree. Yes, everybody has certain choices that, that they can make and that they are accountable for. But it's not their fault that when you tell them something 
keep eating that fast food, eventually you're going to get cancer and die. And, and they don't listen to you. Or, you know, you want to tell them something about, you know, the way the government or the, the money system actually works or something along those lines, and they don't want to hear it. It's not their fault because, you see, they, they were born into a system where there was a, with only three roads that they could have taken. Uh, all of those roads had a pre-planned idea behind them. You know, I was doing this analogy to someone the other day who uh, asked a similar question because they were, you know, they were saying how, they were asking, like, how, how do you and I know this information and other people don't know it? That was their question to me. And I said, I, said I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why some people, you know, quote, unquote, wake up to this type of stuff and other people don't. I, I don't have the answer to that. Um, but I, I know this, that, you can, that just from, you know, being a person who uh, was a television watcher and was, you know, a worldly type person, I guess you would say, at one time in my life, and not very aware of how things really worked. And then coming to those realizations on my own that I can see how people don't ever come to the realization because it's like being in a fog and not being able to ever get out of it. I, I don't know how much of a better way to describe that. Um, but yeah, people do, they, they like being comfortable. I think that's one thing that, that many, many people uh, enjoy. They enjoy being comfortable. And so if it's out of their comfort level um, to alter their way of thinking or alter their way of life, you see, if you give someone a truth, and by accepting that truth, that would require them to change something about themselves or change their way of life, most people won't do it. Because that, that makes them uncomfortable. That makes them think, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. If I accept that, that means that this thing that I'm doing here in my life is going to be contradictory to that truth, and I can't handle that. Yeah. So they would rather reject the truth to maintain their comfortability. Yes. Now, Christians listening to this would understand that, um, you know, we do have a, you, you mentioned the word worldly, the word worldly. We, we do have an enemy. One of our enemies is the world system being worldly, and because um, the Bible says, um, "Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by renewing your mind." Right, and so believers listening in this would uh, understand that completely in that sense. You know, much of what you say uh, will resonate with many of us as believers. But um, I wanted to ask you: um, your advice is to to learn about yourself. Um, and to lead by example and to care for your family. Now, again, uh, I listen to you a fair bit, John, um, and I know that family is important to you and taking care of your family is important to you, and I know that um, uh, healthy eating is also important to you. Would you also agree that healthy thinking is should be part of the way we live? Absolutely. Don't pollute your mind. With rubbish? Yeah, it's easier said than done, I think personal uh, experience it's uh, yes it's it's very hard to break old habits it's very hard to um it, it's very hard to get away from certain things i'll tell you why because mm. the, the things that we've talked about tonight and that we talked about in our past discussion mm. th those all have psychological triggers attached to them yes 
And so what they do, especially they, they do this in advertising, marketing. Um, I've, I've had a lot of people tell me this. I don't know uh, what this is, but, um, you know, I, I've talked to people in conversation and I've, I've described things like that to them about advertising and marketing. And, mm. and, um, and so one of the things that has come up in conversation with people is trying to tell them about how there's chemicals in their household agents. Yeah. Because I, I tell them, you know, my wife and I, we don't use chemicals in our house and we don't use laundry detergent or, or soaps at the store or shampoos or any of that type of stuff, right? Toothpaste. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't use any, any of those uh, store-bought items. And it's very interesting, at least five times in my life, telling people that someone has always said, well, I, uh, I don't know if I could ever give up my laundry detergent because I use the same laundry detergent as I did that my mom used when I yes. was a kid. And yeah. that's what I remember is that smell. Yeah. That's happened in five different conversations. Right. Where people described how the, they're, they're psychologically attached to their laundry detergent because of the smell reminds them of being a child. Now, food is the same way. Yes. Television shows are the same way. Yes. And um, music? Music is the same way as well because that's why uh, music from your particular generation, mm. you listen to it for the rest of your life. That's right. Because there's always something to reminisce about you. You get that you get that old time feeling, as the song says. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. And so, so there's all sorts of things in your life that have been marketed and sold to you that have psychological triggers attached to them, and you don't even know it. You don't even realize that all you're thinking about is you're in the moment. You're like, oh, that smell that reminds me of when I was a little kid running around, and the you know I can you know, smell the laundry being done in the backyard or whatever. And, oh, that song, that song brings me back to, you know, when I was a teenager and I was hanging out with my girlfriend or whatever. You take for granted the fact that those things have been designed with those things in them. Yes. I mean, even a song, even a song that you you think is, you know, like we talked about before, uh, oh, that's my song, that's our song. Right. Well, for the most part, those songs have gone through a process. Even if somebody wrote them, let's just say you wrote you yourself, Darth, you wrote a song, and somebody came in and it's a great song, we are going to make that number one. The thing of it is, is we have to change this, 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 and this. Mm. And the reason those things get changed in the song, even if you are the writer, um, is because they are going to put psychological triggers in your song. Right. And therefore, it'll have better it'll chance. Have deal. It'll have mass appeal, and yeah, and people people will attach themselves to it. You know, That's right. um, you know, if you wanted to get even deeper into that at, at another time, like you said, we'll have a talk about music sometime. We but should just yes. to touch on it. Yes, we just should. to touch on it, there are certain chord arrangements that tug at your heartstrings on on the majority of songs out there. And that's the reason you like them, because those those chord arrangements are psychological triggers. Right. John, trends, how they come and go so quickly nowadays. Um, if you think about it, the time between the invention of the wheel and to automobiles, you know, is uh, thousands of years. But now we have a trend that comes every season. There's new clothing, there's new music, uh, there's new styles every season. 
what's that all about? Is there a reason behind that why it's moving so fast? Or should we just take it at face value and go, ah, that's fashion, man, go with it? No, there is there is a uh, there's a guiding hand behind that. There always has been. Mm-hmm. There's a book. It was written in the 1930s. It, it's called Only Yesterday. It was written by a guy named Frederick Lewis Allen. It's a very easy to find book. I'm sure anybody out there could uh, pick it up on Amazon or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he goes over in that book. Uh, all of the trends in fact in the 1920s. Yeah. Like I said, he wrote it in the 30s. And what the approach that he's taking the book is, you know, look at all the stuff that we used to talk about and the things that we used to do, and we don't do any of these things at all anymore. Yeah. Isn't that very strange how we go through fads so quickly? And just from that time period, I mean, things have accelerated greatly in that regard because, you know, I, I remember uh, reading something, a quote about, you know, Twiggy, uh, the fashion model uh, from the 1960s that, you know, so many people emulated their style. You know, women uh, started trying to look like her with the big eyes and the big eyelashes and the, you know, the waif-like uh, body structure and the mini skirts and whatnot. And, you know, she she even said herself, so, you know, I'm going to be yesterday's news tomorrow. And... Today, people literally are yesterday's news. Fashion is, is, you know, something that lasts a month long. And the reason, like you're asking, the reason for it is because when, when something is in constant flux, people are a lot more pliable. Um, they're easier to, to manage. And... You're, when, when you're in constant flux, you don't have any stability. You don't have anything to fall back on. But one of the main things in that, in that uh, pliability and uh, lack of structure is you are in a state of arrested development. It puts people into a state of arrested development. Yeah. And the reason being is, is because trends and fads rely for the most part, once again, on media and entertainment to be the pushers to, onto the public. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people look to the rock stars and the movie stars and whoever uh, it is that they're looking at to give them their fads and their trends. And so the trend makers and the trendsetters uh, behind all that stuff uh, tell a Star, hey, you know, you're going you're gonna to wear these sunglasses and you're going to wear these shoes, and they pay them some money to do that. Then that star's going to do it. And they're not going. They themselves, they're not going to be thinking about the reasons why. They're just going to do it because they're going to get paid money to do it. Yes, yes. And so, um, you put people in a state of arrested development, and the um, accelerated trends and culture changes. It, it puts you into a childlike state. You know, that, that's something like a child does. A child goes through different phases, in their, you know, just in their in their child's life before they reach adulthood. Yeah. But you're you're seeing this more and more. Um, I include myself in this because I was raised in a generation that was primed to be a uh, primed for arrested development. Yeah. Uh, once again, you. If you're in a state of arrested development, you put marriage off longer. You put having children off longer. 
how you're more involved with inter, you know things that are entertaining to you as opposed to things that you would call serious. And, and I suppose, John, you're more involved with yourself in the sense that more involved in pleasing yourself, aren't you? That's one of that's one of the greatest things. You know, if if you want to push people toward a completely complete and total hedonistic society, yeah, uh, you you need people to be selfish. Yes. I mean, I, I see people walking around with with joke T-shirts, um, but I, I'm, it's not a joke. Where, where the T-shirt will say, "It's all about me." Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking out for number one, and that's probably through society. You know, I was just talking about someone or something about this with uh, someone on a interview the other day, mm-hmm. and I brought up the fact that all of the things having to do with technology. Is all based around selfishness and the self. It's my space. Yeah. iTunes. Good point. Right. Yeah. iPhone. Yeah. I me my I me mine. Like yeah. Beatles said, I me mine, I me mine, I me mine. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah. I think advancing on the on the reason behind it is is a hedonistic society and a and people who. I guess you would call who would think of themselves as being as being individualistic are prone to be susceptible to something to what you would call and it's it's a laughable term because it's not a real clinical term but I heard a guy use it once and he was using it in jest it was just a guy I was having a conversation with in my apartment building and I'll you know I've never heard of that term before and I believe he actually made it up. It's called manufactured individualism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what you have now is you have manufactured individualism, and that's one step further towards no families, no children. Right. And uh, like we talked about before, that that is a tenet, a goal of the people who uh, run the whole show. Yes, because without families and without, um, say, children to take care of or without families to take care of or without families to be involved in, um, individuals are far more easier to steer around, aren't they? Uh, because you're less less anchored. Now, I'm not saying everyone has to be married and have children, but what I'm saying is that if you are not an anchored person in your family, uh, and, and can I say, harking back to where we went came from earlier, extended families, if we don't have them, then we're less anchored down, we're less tied into our local community and uh, families and that, and so therefore we're more vulnerable to be pushed around. And um, But um, look, John, I think we'll leave it there. I'd like to say thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. And um, I'm not going to ask if anybody would like to have you back because I'd like to invite you back again. Will you come back again sometime soon? You know I will, man. I, uh, I always enjoy these conversations that we have uh, on or off air. And, yeah. Uh, if if you like uh, what you hear and you want to hear more of it, I do a call a uh, weekly with Chris Kendall on what's called Hoaxbusters Call, and you can find that at hoaxbusterscall.com. Just wanted to get a plug out for Chris there. Now I'm glad you did that. I'm I'm grateful to Chris for um allowing me to have access to his most popular guest over there. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. But um, no, John, I really enjoy that. So yeah, please, um, I'll, I'd like to get you back in the future. Yeah, man, absolutely. All right, I'll talk to you next time, Garth. Thanks very much, mate. See you later. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. 
I always find it thought-provoking when I speak to John about the topics that he covers, and it challenges me to ask myself, what do I believe? What do I really believe? Because when you talk to people like John who research these sorts of topics, you realise that the world isn't really as it seems, and the way we sometimes perceive it uh, through the mass media, um, what we accept given to us by the newsmakers isn't always what it seems. I think the last time I spoke to John, I was reminded of the verse in the Bible in Romans 12:5, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now the word there, transformed, in the New Testament Greek is metamorpho or metamorphu. And this means to change into another form, to transform or to transfigure. So you can see that this is a very, very important concept to take note of. I really do think we humans are a very amazing uh, creation. We truly are. But we can be so easily led astray. We can be tricked, if you will. And we can be tricked into a pleasure culture, lured by the world. This is how we become slaves to possessions and lured away from the things of God. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? How do we begin to change? I suggest we begin by searching for the truth. Um, do you remember in John chapter 18 where Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Jesus had said to him that everyone who belongs to the truth listens to his voice. So if you want the truth, you want to know how this world works, you want to know why the things are the way they are, then I humbly put it to you, as I've had to put it to myself, that you search the Bible for the truth. And not only search it, but study it. Turn it inside out if you have to. But if you genuinely are seeking the truth, then you can be led by God to the truth that is in his word. Now, I don't want you to just take my word for it. If you haven't really sought God, or if you haven't really sought the truth, or if you have many different um, conflicting ideas of what the truth is, I'm suggesting you try it for yourself. Study God's word. Ask him to lead you to the truth. Ask him to guide you into his truth. Because, to be honest with you, that's the only truth you're really going to need to know to get by in this world that is now and the one that is to come. Anyway, we'll leave it there. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions for me or for John, you can email me at gk at lightflintradio.com. That's all lowercase. Just gk at lightflintradio.com. And if you let me know in your email, I'll also pass it on to John if it's uh, pertinent uh, for John. Anyway, beauty, I'm your host GK. And until next time, God bless and hooroo. With a bone, but I owe my soul to the company's star. I owe my 
to watching TV. <laughs>